0: Welcome back to BIC and the Boss. Craig McEwen here on a Thursday. Lots going on in the wide world of sports, especially at the Olympics where Canada has struck gold again in the decathlon. Uh, An incredible run here for Canadian athletes. Uh, The women started off strong and now the men are starting to catch up with uh, Damian Warner and Andre de Grasse chipping in. And, of course, we have a a big soccer game. We know there will be another medal won. Uh, That game going at 5 a.m. local time tomorrow. It was pushed uh, originally for 7 tonight, but now going at 5 a.m. Canadian uh, women taking on Sweden, the gold medal soccer game. Uh, Obviously a silver or gold, let's hope, for Canada there. Uh, But as we talk Olympics and all that's going on overseas and the importance of how these events uh create role models for younger athletes it's my uh, pleasure to welcome Tara Self an Olympian track and field coach uh, and, and I believe are you uh, a TV star as well in a TV ad is that is that accurate
1: <laughs> I am currently yes <laughs>
0: <laughs> what, what was that like to, to, to shoot that ad? And I, I think it's a pretty powerful message in athletes talking about what their coaches mean to them and, and kind of the the sayings for those who haven't seen it. And I don't know how you haven't if you've been watching the Olympics, but what was that like to shoot an ad?
1: Um, it, I mean, it's interesting, right? Like, I'm not always a morning person. And it was the 5.45 a.m. call for the shoot back uh, last September. And, um, and then it's a lot of time sort of thinking about yourself, which is weird because I don't do that quite often so but it's fun it, it's 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 an interesting experience to be in front of the camera of course um but it is it's nice to be able to have other people experience sort of what you do as a coach and, and understand what's going on
0: yeah I, I you know track and field is an individual sport and and we spend tons of time on this radio station talking about the canucks which is obviously a team game and we talk about the coaches but I, i'm not so sure that Uh, coaches in individual sports get as much credit as they deserve because you know in in my opinion not only you teaching them you know what to do and how to do it but you're also their you know mentor their friend someone they can talk to all that sort of stuff so how much joy do you get from being a coach and and having an impact on people and working with individual athletes who you know can't rely on a team to pick them up when they're having a bad day
1: Um, I love being a coach I I was an athlete for for a high-level athlete, let's say, for 15 years on the national team for 10 um, and got into coaching and actually found more joy in that. Um, there's something to be said for watching someone else achieve their dreams and watching someone else achieve their goals and, and being a part of their joy. Um, and, and just knowing that at the end of it all, you're sending them out into the world and hopefully they're, they're good people. Um, I've I've had the pleasure of working with some wonderful kids who came became wonderful adults, and that is probably uh, what I'm more proud of uh, than their athletic accomplishments. Although they've had fabulous athletic accomplishments around the world, um, knowing that they're high functioning good people is probably the, the most joy I've had out of all of it.
0: Tara Self joining us here on Sportsnet 650, Olympian, track and field coach for the Coquitlam Cheetahs, and Olympic. Athletes, uh, what has your thoughts been so far of, of how the games have gone on the athletic side? As mentioned, you know, DeGrasse doing extremely well, finally winning his gold, uh, Damien Warner decathlete gold. You know, you have a lot of Canadians making an impact uh, at, uh, at the track and field world stage. And, and I, they probably don't get the attention they deserve. And actually, I know they don't. But what do you make of the Olympics so far and what Canada has been able to accomplish?
1: I think they're doing great. I think they're doing wonderfully well. I think this is a, a very unique Olympics. I, there's something to be said for walking into an Olympic stadium and there being, you know, eighty, a hundred thousand people cheering for you, and then at these ones, you walk out there and there's nobody. Like that's got to be overwhelming in itself, and so. For them to still go out there in, em- in an empty stadium and perform as they are has been amazing. I give them all the credit in the world um, I-, I wish they had crowds to run in front of there 's just, just something about that that roar of the crowd and 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 knowing that there are people who it 's not just at home or on the tv it 's there who who are focused on you and are, have that, that give you that extra adrenaline push. so I think they 're doing great I think i mean I- you can't, Andre won. I mean, he's got Olympic medals just coming out of his pockets. He's doing great. Um, <laughs>
0: and, and,
1: and I think the relay going into tomorrow has a great chance of meddling again. I think they're they're doing phenomenally well. Damien is a beast. He's, he's you know, a 9,000-point guy. He's an Olympic uh, record holder. He's Olympic champion. It's been fabulous. and And it is unfortunate that for the most part, like unless it's in the Olympics, nobody truly understands what our Canadian track athletes are doing um, but they are they've been amazing. I give them all the credit in the
0: world yeah, and talk a little bit about how these performances on the big stage can be real catalysts for growth and and I used the example yesterday when we were talking about you know women 's soccer, Christine Sinclair inspires a lot of young girls and then young teenagers and then young women to, to go off to do bigger and better things. Steve Nash did the same for basketball. We, we've seen it in baseball. I mean, let's forget about hockey. That That's the top of the top. But when it comes to track and field and, and seeing Canadians win gold and perform with the best of the best, what does that do for the sport and how encouraging are you that this might be a, a big catalyst to, to bring even more athletes into what you do?
1: absolutely will we had after the rio olympics in 2017 we had andre out uh, at our track for the harry jerome uh, track classic and he ran there and the crowd was fabulous and our club membership had a big bump the next year um it it has a direct impact when it's something tangible that people can see and people can relate to and if they get an opportunity to see that person in real life it's even better so i i do see value in our athletes being active in our communities, the exposure they get on TV, winning the medals, bringing them home, glory for Canada. It does actually affect our our local athletes going forward. Um, I, I track. We'll have a, a big bump of athletes next year for sure in Canada. Um, we have lots of little kids right now saying to themselves, "I want to be the next Damien Warner. I want to be the next Andre DeGrasse." Uh, and that's a that's a great thing. That that will for sure in the coming years, provide us with more athletes that are going to go out there and, and be amazing on the world stage.
0: Tara Self, uh, Olympian track and field coach, joining us here for a few more minutes. I, I would say this and, and ask you, you know, you talk about that will and want to, to be something when you see it and you can believe it and you can touch it. Um, with these great athletes we have right now, uh, is it all um, – God-given ability for them. I mean, I'm, not to discredit what you do as a coach, but like they—they they talk in sports that you know some people just goal scorers and and can score. You, you can teach people to get better at it, but uh, like, what is it in track that you know is—is is it just what you're born with, or or can you develop these these skills and get faster and and stronger and compete at the world level?
1: Um, genetics is a huge part of it. <laughs> if you're blessed with good genetics, you're ahead of the curve, and that would be true in any sport. Um, What's, the challenge is finding the athlete who has the good genetics and also has the good head on their shoulders to handle the training, the travel, the competition, all the pres- the, the, the stresses that come along with being a high-level athlete. That's much more challenging uh, to, to come across and to have an, an, in one athlete. Anybody can be better than they are. Um, a, a good training program will improve anybody's athletic ability. Finding those those stars is is more challenging but i mean everyone it's hard to say like they always say you know if you work hard enough you can get there and and yes on some level that's true but when you're talking about the best of the best that one percent of the one percent genetics is a huge a huge part of that
0: and and it, we've seen with some of the RBC training grounds where they they've asked athletes from different sports to go try something and then, and then maybe you you find a cyclist or a bobsledder or can the same be done for track when you when you look at this country that there are a lot of great hockey players that maybe have some strength and some power that could translate or uh soccer players that sort of thing could could the same be said for track to try and find those next superstars uh
1: absolutely track uh, is uh, fortunately for us it's a late developing sport so you do not have to be good in track at six, seven, or eight years old to be good at track in high school. You can start track in high school and go on and be Olympic champion. Andre has proven that. Um, In our sport in in BC, we don't even register kids in our club before the year they turn nine. So it's not an early sport. So something like the RBC Training Ground can actually benefit a sport like track if a kid comes in and they've been in one sport, say soccer or hockey, and haven't tried anything else and be, gets exposed to other sports, and then you can trans, transfer them over. Because for us, we'll take you. you've never run a step and you come out at 15 years old, we will start and see where we can get you. Um, it isn't, it, there's, there's so many different aspects to track and field, too, that not everyone's a sprinter, not everyone's a jumper, but there's probably something you can do, and we can figure that out with a good training program.
0: Tara, great stuff. Um, for anyone who's interested and in, in listening out there and wants some more information about your club or how to get involved, uh, I'll let you put in the shameless plug right now in, <laughs> in, the, uh, in the recruiting of the next uh, Andre de yeah, or uh, Damien if, Warner.
1: If anyone is interested, we at Coquitlam Cheetahs Track and Field out of Percy Perry Stadium uh, in Coquitlam Town Centre Park, we're happy to take all comers um, starting from nine years old on up. Uh, if, if you think you got a shot at it, Give us, give us, You can Google us, Coquitlam Cheetahs, give us a shout,
0: and we'll see what you got. Excellent. Thanks so much for doing it. Great conversation. Uh, love the insight and, and really excited for what lies ahead for Team Absolutely. Canada as well go for the rest of the games. Go Canada, go. Excellent. Thanks so much, uh, Tara Self, Olympian, track and field coach from the Coquitlam Cheetahs, uh, chiming in there about uh, some of the great stuff that's happening at the uh, Tokyo Games as uh, Canada's medal count continues to rise. A gold in the decathlon, incredible performance by Damian Warner, and as she mentioned, the relay coming up. The 200 relay with Andre DeGrasse has a real shot at picking up another medal as well. Uh, CFL football is back. Uh, the league kicks off this evening, uh, and you know, after being away and out of the public spotlight for so long, it, it's a uh, a real big step for the CFL just to kick things off uh, tonight and have fans back in the stadium and people engaged across the country because sometimes, you know, when you're out of the spotlight, you get ignored. But that's not the case uh, this week with the CFL. The Lions start tomorrow in Saskatchewan and uh, in Toronto on the Fan 590. Ben Ennis and Steven Brown on the writer's block welcome scott mitchell from the ticats to talk about the cfl opener and the league in general
2: where where's your uh where's your emotion as we get set to to see three down football for the first time in a long time
3: oh just simply exciting uh excitement um it's a great day i think uh, as you guys know we've got millions of fans across this country uh who've persevered and uh, stuck with us it's uh been a pretty amazing journey with them and our partners and of course for our players it's a hugely significant night they've really they're the ones who've been most impacted by this for the last uh, year and a half and i'm just so thrilled for them to get back on the field and our fans to be able to enjoy a, a great uh, a great league so it's a lot of excitement i think for everybody involved uh, with football in canada today
4: Scott, can you talk a little bit about the challenge of putting the team back together, you know, after missing a season? I, you know, um, obviously there was some uncertainty leading up as well, but, um, talking to guys who might, who some of whom didn't play for a year. uh, I know in some circumstances around the league, guys opt, have moved on with their lives. They took other careers even. Um, some guys decided to opt out of the season. Um, but you've brought back a team that, you know, looks, a whole lot like the team that played in the Grey Cup in 2019, you know, missing a few pieces, but but pretty close to that squad. Um, how, how tough was how tough was that to do, and how did you manage that?
3: Well, I think we've got a great group of uh, people in the front office uh, in terms of Drew Allemang and Sean Burke, and of course our head coach Orlando Steinauer, who I think in Orlando six years with the organization, uh, we've been in five uh, five Eastern Division uh, championships and uh, three Grey Cups, and never th- never missed the playoffs. So. Orlando's had a very very positive impact on the organization and built a great culture and i know um people get tired of words like cultures within organization but i think we have built a great culture here thanks to those people and uh, the players are just tremendous uh, there's there's been a group of guys who've been with the organization for a long period of time and have been through lots of success and some challenges along the way and uh and they were very committed to to being part of this going forward so we're we feel very fortunate we've got a great group of people and uh as i said just really excited for them to get back on the field tonight
2: uh we will see a full stadium when we watch uh, you play in winnipeg tonight tie cats and blue bombers are renewing hostilities after that 2019 gray cup game the winnipeg blue bombers are requiring double vaccination for all fans attending their home games in manitoba i wonder what you th- what you think of that policy and do you think that that will be applicable to to more stadiums than just in winnipeg
3: well, and, and guys, I apologize. I was walking through the airport, so I was able to take off my mask. that no, I'm outside, so hopefully you can hear me better. But um, um, well, look, that's a that's a decision that was made by the province, obviously here in Manitoba. Every provincial uh, health authority uh, acts differently. Um, Ultimately, it's about who owns and controls and runs the stadium. So, uh, in this particular case, uh, that was what the mandate that came down from the government. The Bombers, uh, I think, were obviously supportive of it, but at the end of the day, that it wasn't their decision. They have to enforce it now, which uh, which, um, I'm interested to see what the experience is going to be like tonight, but it seems to have been uh, responded to by the people in Manitoba well, and as you said, they're expecting a full, full house. Uh, and I think, you know, in Ontario, we're, we're moving along. We need to, we need to keep going on our vaccination rates. And, uh, if we can get that 30 to 75% threshold, which I think we're 3% away or so right now, uh, we should be in a similar, similarly good
4: situation. So we'll,
3: we'll see how this unfolds. As you guys know, there's a lot of moving parts that continue and, uh, but things seem to be trending in the right direction, at least in Canada, right now.
4: Yeah, f- yeah, Fingers crossed, Scott. How are you guys? So, how are you planning? You know, in terms of ticket sales, you guys do you, you have a delayed home opener at, on? Uh, you open on Labor Day, obviously. And I, right now, I guess in Ontario, it's fifteen thousand seats. Uh, how are you kind of planning? How do you how do you plan for a season when that number could be fluid? You know, that you you where you could have more opportunity down the road. Is it you know is it, is there? Is there? Uh, well, again, I guess we've all learned to be fluid, haven't we? We've we've all learned to be a little yeah. light on our feet in terms of planning. But, but uh, yeah, how, like how do you kind of lay, lay things out for a season when you don't entirely know how many seats you have to sell?
3: No, it's a great question, uh, Stephen. And I think you're right. Fluidity and uh, being flexible is uh, is the most important thing. I mean, I mean, first and foremost, we're we're very grateful. Uh, we had a we had a great turnout last night and a great experience at, at Tim Hortons Show last night for our Forge. FC team playing their first home game in front of fans, so that was a great uh, trial for us in terms of tie cats. But uh, uh, you know, that, it is a challenge. As I said, we're very grateful that that as of right now we'll be able to get 15,000 people in the stands for Labor Day. Of course, that really doesn't even accommodate our season seat holders, uh, um, and we're fortunate to, to have that problem. And and the problem, as you said, Stephen, is we like to be on sale. There's a huge demand for uh, for Labor Day tickets. Uh, we get calls nonstop and activity in the office asking for individual game tickets or flex pack tickets. And uh, the problem is, is that we can't, we can't sell those tickets until we reach the 75% threshold and the province uh, changes the mandate. So, you know, look, we're not unique. I mean, that TFC has the same issue. Uh, Obviously um, um, the the Blue Jays have the same issues. We just, we just have to work through it. And and, and again, trying to be half full about it. The simple fact of the matter is is that we're quite thrilled to be able to get 15,000 people in and hopefully um, as the vaccination rates uh, continue uh, we'll be able to get to that that uh, threshold where we can have uh, as many fans as we need in the stands at a, really in a really in a very safe and healthy manner
2: talking to Scott Mitchell CEO of the Hamilton Tiger Cats I I don't know if you can speak to the vaccination rate of your team but how confident are you that uh teams will not be responsible for what can be a forfeiture of a game if an outbreak uh happens in the middle of the season
3: well ben it, it's a tricky issue there's there's no doubt um and uh, you're seeing that all around in the world of sports. Um, I will say this, I'm, I'm we're very, very proud of our team, uh, our coaches, our players. Uh, I think we are, uh, uh doing a fantastic job. Uh, we're going to, we're going to meet the thresholds. We need to meet as a team we already have, uh, in order to be uh, treated as in that, in that preferable, uh, window. Uh, but we need, uh, everybody to do the same. And, uh, Unfortunately, I know people don't want to hear it, but the reality is is that from a data perspective, most of the spread is coming from unvaccinated people and and then can be transferred to vaccinated people. So, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. We need people to get vaccinated, and I know it's a difficult topic. Uh, As I said, our organization, is is, we're not perfect. We've done an excellent job. I'm proud of the job we've done, and and I know a lot of the other teams in the league have too, and I know it's improving every day. But uh, until we get every team over 85%, we're not there yet.
4: What are you stepping back, Scott? What what do you do you have a sense yet of what the impact of the lost season is going to be? Obviously, your hardcore fans are your hardcore fans, and they're chomping at the bit to watch the team play tonight and and are crazy excited about the season. But, and I know, and I know you guys, the Tiger Cats, would have liked to have played last year if you if there was any way to play last year. I know you were gung ho about that. But, you know, if you look around at all the different leagues, including the Canadian Premier League, the Forge, they, they played the island games last year, they managed to stay they managed to stay uh, out there in the, in the public eye as best they could. The CFL couldn't do that. Do you th- do you think that's going to hurt the league um or will is it or, or or will absence make the heart grow fonder here?
3: Well, Stephen, look, I don't think uh we're a football league. We play football. So I don't think not playing is good. Uh and I know I know uh, uh that's pretty straightforward. Having said that, uh look, I'm going to be very positive about things. Uh there's a lot of excellent uh momentum behind the league there's I think there's some significant things that will be announced throughout this uh, this year uh, we need to play football where i said we have we own teams and run teams that are that provide our team and the, and the product is football so if you don't play uh, there's not a tremendous amount of benefit that can come from that having said that we've done a lot of interesting and good things uh, we've got some costs under control uh, we've had to take a hard look in the mirror about our business structure and as i said i think we've done that and i think uh, I, I do believe we will take advantage of an opportunity to, to take a fresh look at our business, and I do think we'll be better for it. But I'm never a fan of uh, of not playing, and, I'm, and uh, thank goodness uh, we're going to kick off the season tonight here in Winnipeg.
4: Now just one last question before we let you go Scott. Obviously the Grey Cup is in Hamilton this year. It's been a while. Um the last time it was in Hamilton it was uh, not wildly successful. Um just you know, to uh, to put too fine a point on it but it wasn't. Um you've had to del- you know you've had to organize a Grey Cup with all of the uncertainty we were talking about and you know by December when when the game actually happens I I hope we're completely back to normal in terms of being able to sell tickets etc but you know sitting here today we don't know. But I what are, if you could just talk about what it means to the Tiger Cats to get this Grey Cup, to hold a Grey Cup in Hamilton, to kind of put the flag down on, on home turf, and maybe have a chance to play in it yourselves.
3: Well, I think it's hugely significant, Stephen. It's hugely significant for the city. It's it's a uh, it's a great exposure for the city, the community, our surrounding area, um, and that. And I think the thing that kind of gets missed sometimes is it's uh, it's not always just about the season seed holders who have an opportunity to. to uh, get to a great cup. It's about the benefit to the organization and the community as a whole. It's a significant economic impact to, to everybody. And I think to be able to show off Tim Horton's field to people across the country and around the world is a great opportunity for us. And then, uh, as I said, uh, incredible opportunity and reward for our season seat holders to be able to attend a great cup uh, and our fans to be able to attend a great cup at home and, and be proud of the franchise and the organization and the stadium that we've built. Uh, it's tremendous. And, and as challenging as it is in this current environment, uh, um i think one of the things we're most proud of is we have a tremendously resilient organization we've been through a lot the last 10 years and we've come out uh, in good shape and, and i know we're going to be able to get through this for the next few months and put on an outstanding great cup that really i think will be a coming out party in canada in a lot of ways and really i believe uh, likely the first championship awarded in canada since the pandemic started so we're we're really excited about it there's a tremendous amount of enthusiasm about it and uh, Uh, We'll get kicked off tonight, and then we'll start working uh, towards putting on a season to Martin's field and, of course, uh, uh, putting a lot of effort into making sure we have an outstanding, memorable Grey Cup uh, in uh, December.
2: Well, it's going to feel great to see three-down football played once again uh, tonight and in front of a full stadium, too. Uh, Nothing better. Scott, thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate it.
3: Really appreciate you guys having me on.
0: There's Scott Mitchell, the uh, head of the Ticats, joining the writer's block on the Fan 590 in Toronto with Ben Ennis and uh, Stephen Brunt. CFL football kicks off this evening, Hamilton and Winnipeg, and uh, the BC Lions uh, will start things off in uh, Regina tomorrow, uh, injury and roster note there. Uh, The Leos revealed their depth chart for Friday's game and one of their biggest uh, free agent signings will not be playing. Uh, Projected running back Shaq Cooper uh, is out on the one-game injured list. So that means James Butler should be the one uh, carrying the rock lots for the Leos. It also remains to be seen where Michael Riley is. Uh, Riley has been on a pitch count. He had a sore elbow uh, from throwing, uh, as Neil McAvoy told uh, Rintoul and Sermon this week, a 1,000 balls at training camp. And at 36, you know, listen, after taking uh, almost two years off, it, there's some rust to to be worked off, but sometimes when you push it a little bit too hard, uh, you get some aches and pains. But uh, I know uh, in hearing the Moj this morning on Halford & Bruff, that the Lions are confident that Riley will be able to play against the Riders, and that's very good news for B.C., Uh, Moving from three-down football to four-down football, still to come here on Bick and the Boss, uh, Emery Hunt, NFL analyst, football game plan, czar of the playbook, will be uh, joining the show to uh, talk all things uh, National Football League. There's a game tonight, Pittsburgh and Dallas, Hall of Fame game, and also a COVID situation brewing down south that we'll dive into with him as well. That and a little bit more here, on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Bick and the Boss here on Sportsnet 650. Craig McEwen without Bick, although there was some Bick talk earlier in the show when we were talking about the Beauty League and uh, Team Bick with Brock Besser with a hat trick last night, leading his team. Uh, to a four and four record and hopefully raising the championship there in Minnesota. A big story in Minnesota and the National Football League as well. Uh, something we will dive into more when we are joined by Emory Hunt, NFL analyst, football game plan czar of the playbook, and uh, you know we'll we'll talk to him about what Kirk Cousins had to say. And uh, Emory will also talk to you first of all about some uh, football game being played this evening. Pittsburgh and Dallas, considering what the league went through last year uh, with the COVID situation, and in my opinion, doing a great job just getting the season underway, I know players don't really love training camp, but for a football fan, how nice is it to actually see this game being played this evening? Oh, I think
5: it's real... Phenomenal to watch, man. I, I'm just glad that we're we're able to see a game on a regular track. We, I don't think we got the uh, Hall of Fame game or any preseason game last year, so just to see this uh, on on schedule, it gives you a little bit of sense of normalcy for the season.
0: Yeah, and and in this COVID world we're living in, normalcy is is hard to come by. Obviously, the NFL has. Put their stamp on things and and told the players you know what they'd like to see. There's rules put in place, but but two two guys. I won't say Kirk Cousins was necessarily speaking out. He was just suggesting that you know while he was tested for being a close contact in COVID situation, that perhaps he would have plexiglass around him and his decision on whether he get vaccinated is his, which is obviously his right. But Jimmy Graham was a little stronger in his frustrations about this. I know it'll be an ongoing story, and with COVID, you always have to adapt and overcome and, and and work through these things. But how big an issue is this right now for the National Football League? When when you start to hear some bigger name uh, athletes, you know, say their piece about what's gone on uh, in down south with uh, the COVID vaccination.
5: We got a lot of smart dummies out here, man, and, and you know, unfortunately, people get a lot of misinformation, and people love misinformation. Uh, nowadays, and you know, and when they say they have to do more research, well, don't you have a primary care doctor you can go talk to? That would be the best person to go talk to with questions instead of going to social media to find a meme to justify the way you already feel. So, I have no sympathy for those folks that that need to get more information on something we've been dealing with for a year and a half. So, I mean, I just wish folks did the right thing, wish they know deep down what the right thing is. And stop trying to be the smartest dummy in the room, which leads us to these problems that we're seeing consistently pop up over over the course of the you know, the recent months.
0: Emory Hunt joining us here on Sportsnet 650. The uh football game plans are the playbook and emery you you mentioned you know there about you know just people needing information but i would suggest if you look at the seattle seahawks last year who if i remember correctly didn't have a COVID problem and this year I believe 90 of 91 players are vaccinated. That's probably your best advertisement to say, hey, if you get this done, you're not going to be, you know, losing players, losing games, losing momentum in the season. So enough of the COVID talk, but uh, the Seahawks, a lot of 12s in Vancouver were just up the road a couple hours from Seattle. Uh, what do you make of their team this year? What do you make? There's a new offensive coordinator, some new pieces brought in. Is Russ going to cook? You know, what do you think of the Seahawks and their chances in the very tough NFC West?
5: You know, I think they have a good chance of winning that division. It is going to be tough, like you mentioned. Uh, I just want to see if the pass rush and the newfound defense that they were able to, to have come into play last year when they got Carlos Dunlap, I want to see that carry over into this season because remember the offense wasn't the problem last year until the back end of the year but when the offense starts to sputter a little bit the defense picked it up because the defense was the issue in the first part of the season so i want to see the complete seattle seahawks team uh, show up from start to finish because on paper yeah there's some questions in the secondary but within their front seven and on the offensive side of football uh, up front in the backfield that quarterback obviously and every the receiver they're stacked and talented so i do think We'll see them in the playoffs again this year, whether that's as a division winner, has yet to be seen
0: yeah, and I would argue that they haven't been this deep up front defensively since you know maybe their their Super Bowl a run they had a lot of pieces they can rotate in and out bringing in alden smith remains to be seen what type of impact he might be able to have but it isn't it is so important i mean you always get talking about the secondary and all that but it's that pressure up front and you saw it when dunlap joined the seahawks last year what a difference it was when they could actually not just bother the quarterback but actually get there
5: yeah and that's the key when the seahawks were dominant when they're making super bowl runs their defense is dominant, and so they needed that boost from Carlos Dunlap. You get back Daryl Taylor, who they drafted last year, um, and he has some ability to bring pressure off the edge. You mentioned Alden Smith. We'll see if L.J. Collier can settle into the role that he started to show last year in conjunction with what they do on the interior. So the, the, the upside is there. You just want to see it consistently from this defense um, once the season starts and not have any type of drop-off or lag that we saw last year.
0: Now, Emery, one of the biggest stories so far early in training camp has been the injury to Carson Wentz. And, and you know, perhaps could there be a quarterback headed to Indianapolis if, if Wentz, who's been ballparked to be out 5 to 12 weeks, misses some time. But what what do you think of the quarterback situation there with Frank Reich's team and, and what they can do either internally or externally, if that means going out and maybe getting a Nick Foles out of Chicago?
5: You know, I think they addressed that already they went out and got Brett Huntley someone that has started some games in the NFL and they drafted a guy last year in Jacob Eason who I compared to Carson Wentz in terms of stylistic uh, play so he's someone that fits their mold for what they want in at a quarterback position uh, so I think that's what they're going to do they have a very good offensive line I uh, granted you know uh Quentin Nelson has suffered the same injury but very still good up front And they have a tremendous tailback in Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. So they got depth there. You have a young quarterback that you work with a full year and also into training camp. And the good part about the injury knock on wood was the fact that it happened earlier in the, in training camp, you know, this is like day five. So, you know, now you have the rest of the summer to work with Easton, get him ready to go into an offense that will be his second year in the offense. So, I don't think they're in dire straits. Now, granted, there's a difference between Wentz and Eason, but it's not like, hey, we have to go out and get Nick Foles, who has been not good in the last two spots uh, in Jacksonville and in Chicago, and both of which where we saw him start games. He hasn't been good. So that's not an option. I think they already have their answer in-house.
0: Nice. Very, very good, Emery. And and in doing a little uh, research for this segment, th- did I come across a piece where you were actually kind of praising the Detroit Lions uh, and the simple fact that they have a lot of great coaches? I- I'm not so sure after watching Jared Goff as long as we had out here in, in, uh, in L.A. how good he's going to be, but I, I think you were pumping the uh, tires of the Lions, at least their coaching staff.
5: Yeah, absolutely. It's the staff that I, that I am more impressed with because... Every guy that they have on that staff, you're talking about Dan Campbell, Anthony Lynn, uh Aaron Glenn, you know, Staley, and there's a bunch of others on the staff that I just didn't mention, but every time you talk about every every time you hear players talk about those guys, it's all glowingly uh, you know, they're singing their, their praises, talking about they'll you know, they you know, love to play for that dude or they'll run through a brick wall for him. He's a good man, good coach, better person off the field. And those type of guys get the most out of players. And every player wants that type of coach. And nine nine times out of ten, it's usually, you know, a a position coach that doesn't coach your position. You're like, man, I wish so-and-so was our coach. But now you have a whole staff of those type of coaches. So that's why I said it's fascinating to follow Detroit this year because you're going to have someone like that at every position, and it'll be interesting to see how much they can get out of guys especially where they're weakest. I also agree golf is a question mark. The secondary has some questions. Uh, can they get pass rush? They don't have a true dominant pass rusher. But we'll see if you know the staff can get the most out of guys that are on the roster currently because they have a tremendous staff, and I'm excited to see those guys get out there and coach.
0: Yeah, and, and you're right. Uh, a coach, when it comes to coaching someone up, but more than that, just wanting to – Play for that guy. When you look at the NFL, you know who do you rank right now as head coaches that kind of have that same mentality? I mean, I guess in Seattle, Pete Carroll seems to get a lot out of his players the way he treats them. Uh, you know, Mike Tomlin. What do you rank as as a as a head head coach, not just some of those position guys? When it comes to that type of guy, you're going to go through a brick wall for.
5: Well, you, you mentioned two of them. You know, Carroll is one. Uh, Tomlin hasn't had a losing season. That's it's a lot about him and getting guys to play for him. He almost made the playoffs with, you know, uh, Devlin Hodges was an undrafted rookie that almost got the team into the playoffs that year where Ben got hurt. You look at, um, you know, what Andy Reid has been able to do at in Kansas City and also in Philadelphia. So when you have those coaches like that man, it, and guys really rally around, um, it, it says a lot, man. It speaks volumes. And I, I just think that <clears throat> Sean Payton could be another one of those guys, you know. <clears throat> having him you know be that guy, be that person. Uh John Harbaugh is one. notice these are coaches that seem to have a consistent uh track record of winning. And that's a big reason why.
0: Emory, really appreciate you doing this. Stopping by, fantastic uh information. Enjoy the game Uh, tonight Uh, I know it's it's not going to be a a real NFL game per se but it is as you said so aptly nice to get a little normalcy and and at least see some preseason football this year which we were robbed of last year
5: and listen it's a big game for those guys trying to make the roster and I'm always excited for preseason because again if you are covering the draft like I do and breaking down these prospects you want to see the guys the rookies get out there and compete because you want to be right you know, you want to be right. You want to see how these guys translate to the NFL. So I'm always excited about preseason. I do appreciate you guys having me on.
0: Thank you very much, Emery Hunt, NFL analyst, football game plan and czar of the playbook, joining us here on Sportsnet 650, talking a little four down football. And yeah, it's really interesting uh, for me tonight to to watch that game. And and as he put it, just some prospects. But just more to the fact that, hey, you know, it's going to get a bit monotonous the more preseason games we see. But the first one and the lights and and all that, and having been to Canton, Ohio, myself, to the Football Hall of Fame and what football means in that area, it's uh, one of those things where, yeah, as much as you're not going to see the the big guns uh, play, if at all, uh, you will see some talented football players, and it will just bring us uh, back to a little bit of – normal and isn't it nice to get normal uh i i believe if i'm not mistaken uh dan riccio is is hopefully making his way to the studio art factor our producer here told him that the boss wanted to see him what's that art he's good thanks art said he's good what this did i do now Mac? What did I do? Yeah, now? What did you do now? Listen, I've been, I've been talking so much about three down football, four down football, but now I really want to talk about football. <laughs> what is going on with Messi? We, we've, we've kind of just buried the lead here. All day. It should have been the lead of the show, but the, the first hour is all Canucks, and then the next hour we're doing some other things, but Messi leaving. I, I thought they'd come to an agreement. I thought there was a deal What, what is happening reach
6: yeah, there was a deal in place, but uh, I guess uh, Barcelona's being told you can 't keep working with all this fouguezi money, so <laughs> if you don't have the actual <laughs> money we 're not letting you do this i mean we 're not quite used to this um, you know we we just think of uh, European soccer like there's just money flowing around everywhere you know um, but actually Barcelona's been uh, going through some really tough times, and obviously covid hasn 't helped that, but uh, they Spend a lot of money on players that haven't really worked out. And, you know, they agreed to a pay cut with Lionel Messi, but even that wasn't enough because they haven't been able to sell off some of the players that they are overpaying and not getting much out of. So, essentially, what's happened is La Liga is saying, if you're not going to comply with our salary restrictions and spending restrictions, we're not going to let you put pen to paper with this Lionel Messi deal. Hmm. Interesting.
0: So outside of you hoping he goes to Juventus. Uh, <laughs> what, hey, everybody what wants think...
6: Cristiano Ronaldo and uh, Lionel Messi to be best friends. Yeah.
0: Right? <laughs> what, what do you think the likelihood of, of him ending up somewhere? And, and could it be the, the big spending clubs of the Premier League or, or your, your thoughts on what's next now for him? I know it's early days, but where he might uh, wind up playing.
6: It feels like the this is a soap opera, and uh, I'm waiting for the twist to be that he ends up somehow back with Barcelona and everything's okay, and uh, they'll just delete the tweets that they sent out with the the tribute <laughs> videos today and all of that but I, I don't know if that's that's really going to happen um, it, it really is that bad of a situation financially for for Barcelona right now, so you look at the teams that actually have money to spend and are probably. Going to be able to fit Lionel Messi's massive wage ask into their structures, you're probably looking at Manchester City and Paris Saint Germain. Like I, I just don't know. I, I don't know which other teams are possible. And I would say the favorite is probably PSG. In France. You know, uh, it doesn't seem like anybody's going to hammer them with uh, spending restrictions. So Messi can go there. He can play with Neymar and Mbappe and they can rule France and maybe finally win that club a, a Champions League. I think they're the favorite right now to land him because I just don't see who else has money. I mean, world football has been hurt pretty significantly by covid and even you look at the summer transfer window where we're used to seeing players get sold left right and center for huge fees that we can't really comprehend that's only happening in the premier league with manchester city maybe chelsea manchester united and psg there's like four clubs in the world right now that have the ability to spend money other than that everybody is holding tight See,
0: Reach, this is what I love. I I can get you to warm up here. You're going to dance circles around sad anyways (laughs) with the soccer talk, but you're getting all this out. It's like your uh, warm-up, your training session. Hey, before we uh, let you go and and do your real show, as opposed to carrying mine here for the last uh, 10 minutes, just wanted to get your thoughts and opinion. You know, the the Olympic gold medal match is coming up. You know, Canada finally playing for another colour outside of bronze. The time, it's been moved. The heat shouldn't be as big an issue what are your thoughts heading into that and how special is that to see uh you know christine sinclair and company make it to a gold medal match
6: it's um still remembering 2012 so well cmac as as we all do um to see them beat the u.s it almost felt like the gold medal in itself so i I hope that there's no letdown uh coming up against sweden um that, that that's the worry here you know sweden's been a bit of a juggernaut in this tournament, they beat the U.S. three-nil earlier. Uh, they smoked Australia. They've been scoring a lot of goals, which is not what Canada has been doing. So, I think there is a little bit of a worry from me uh, that Canada is going to have to find some goals. Uh, and, and I don't know where they're going to do it. Uh, I, that's that's kind of the big question with this team for me. How do they score goals? You look at their knockout phase matchups. They go to. Penalties with Brazil in a nil-nil game, and they beat the U.S. on one penalty. They have not scored from open play. They haven't scored more uh, than than two goals in any match in this tournament. It's it's been a struggle for them to find the net, you know. And that's part and parcel with Christine Sinclair not being the finisher she once was. But from open play, they really depend on scoring in transition. And their decision-making in the final third just hasn't been there. And I feel like tomorrow they're going to have to score more than one goal to beat Sweden.
0: Well, they're due is what you're telling me. Ah, They're due. They haven't haven't had that big offensive output yet. Look at you, glass
6: half full, C-Mac.
0: I've been trying to do that all day. I've been getting ripped in the text line, and I just wanted no negativity today. I just, I, I didn't want people ripping on the Canucks. I just wanted to have a positive, nice couple of hours. So that's why I brought you on Reach your Ray right. of Sunshine. What, what, what's coming up on the big show? I, I'm guessing a little bit of soccer talk as well.
6: Yeah, we've got uh, John Herdman joining us. Uh, obviously, the, the men's team, he, he led them to a, a Gold Cup semifinal against Mexico, and uh, he was with that uh, women's team in 2012 and, and is still a, a big part of that program and how far it has come he'll join us at four we'll talk football with Matt Collar after five o'clock of course uh, Kirk Cousins getting a lot of headlines for all the wrong reasons Justin Bourne and uh Andrea Neal will be joining us as well but uh before I go C Mac yes I I asked this to to iMac yesterday uh Ian McIntyre okay. um but you know the white cap signed this uh this Scottish Messi over here Ryan gold. <laughs> And the <laughs> yes. big, the big. I wish it was the real messy, but anyways, <laughs> yes, yes. The uh, the big promo was was all about this, uh, uh, urn brew, iron Ur, iron brew. I I, I don't know yes, what it is. Yes. The, the 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 national Scottish drink. What is this thing? Is it as good as everybody says it is?
0: Yeah, it's very good. You should try it. The shortbread was a nice uh, touch too, as well. <laughs> but yeah, give it a whirl. You, you you'll you'll like. I know Randy educates you on. You know, South Asian soda and and cuisine and that just give it a whirl. There's not a lot of great food in in Great Britain or Scotland, in my opinion. Like haggis, <laughs> e, brutal. But that 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 stuff is very good. And of course, the beer. It can't beat the McEwans uh, in Scotland
6: as well. All right, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Thanks, you Mac.
0: Thanks, Rich. Take care, Dan Riccio from the People's Show coming up next here on Sportsnet. 650 as uh they dive into a lot of uh, soccer talk and some football talk and i meant to ask reach if he's uh building his plexiglass wall interesting stuff uh from kirk cousins and you know you heard emory hunt at the beginning of this segment uh you know he doesn't suffer fools let's say and and you know it's one of those things where this covid situation is going to follow us around for a very 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 long time and every moment we feel we've made a step forward there's a possibility of taking a step back but i am amazed at sometimes and i think emory used stupidity but i'll say ignorance or just not being educated about the fact that hey listen the vaccine works and you saw it with the seahawks seahawks last year did not have a a problem with covid this year they they have 90 of 91 or, or you know almost everyone vaccinated it's a team choice, and I get it. People in the world have their own uh, opportunities to do things, but when it comes to this crazy virus, it just seems to me the only way we're going to get around it is if we are vaccinated. Uh, I want to thank Art Factoria, Factora. Art, I blew your name. I, I was going to give you the big send-off, and thank you years. for uh, joining us here. But uh, thanks for chipping in, buddy. Your, your Don't At Me was all right.
6: Uh, so uh, between Bic uh, and Greg and Joel, like where, where am I sitting on this?
0: Where are you sitting? Yeah. Uh, all right. Which you're shoes. Whose who's feel? Your sitting, you're sitting who's shoes you need to, to fill. Like a yeah. tiny, tiny, feet. Yes, tiny feet. You're not filling big shoes. No one can do big shoes, not even me. But uh, yeah, I appreciate you uh, chiming in and also want to thank all our guests here on Big and the Boss. Uh, that's it for our Thursday. Coming up next, it's the People's Show here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650.